Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. In this two-part episode, we're revisiting a discussion held during Informa Markets Digital Maritime Week in June 2020, when the Sea Trade ShipTech brand unpacked various discussion topics surrounding crew welfare and the skills challenge. During the 90-minute webinar that was sponsored by the Isle of Man Ship Registry and Tappet, five highly knowledgeable contributors navigated their way through multiple topics, from connectivity on board vessels to the impact technology can have on health and well-being, and what the industry should be doing to speed up innovation when addressing crew welfare as an ongoing concern. Don't forget, you can access part two of this episode online at seatrade-maritime.com, as well as more podcasts, webinars, and daily news content on demand. For part one of this podcast, the discussion hones in on the impact of COVID-19 on seafarers and the role technology plays. This particular discussion starts with personal introductions from each of the panellists. So without further ado, let's start with Nick Chubb of Thetius giving his moderator's introduction. Three months ago when we started putting this event together, none of us foresaw just how much COVID-19 was going to affect seafarer welfare. Um, But as many of us around the world begin to edge closer to what we might describe as as normal life, there are up to 400,000 seafarers stuck at sea with no end in sight. Day of the Seafarer, today is normally a day to celebrate the ongoing commitment of the 1.6 million men and women who go to sea. But today it feels as if the mood of the entire industry is not one of celebration so much, but more one of frustration, growing even into anger at the lack of action taken by governments around the world to keep crew changes happening. And this is where I'd like to start today's discussion, uh, exploring what our panel's view of the crisis is, and also whether technology has a role to play in keeping crews moving and easing their suffering while stuck at sea. Um, I don't want to focus just on COVID-19, though. I think crew welfare problems have been around a lot longer than coronavirus, and they'll continue long after continue to exist Sorry, long after this crisis passes. Joining me this afternoon is a panel of experts. We plan to unpick not just coronavirus, um, but to look at wider crew welfare issues and the current and future skills challenges we face as an industry. By way of kicking off, I think it's always better if panellists introduce themselves. So we'll go around one by one. And I'd like to ask each of you to tell us a little bit about who you are, your role, uh, and and why this particular discussion is important to you. So if we could kick off with uh, Cameron from the Isle of Man Ship Registry. Over to you. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Cameron Mitchell. I'm the current director of the Isle of Man Ship Registry. From a registry point of view, we have been for several years concerned about the welfare of crew, uh, seafarers on board Isle of Man ships um, long before COVID-19 came around. And we believe that in order to look at the mental, uh, physical health and well-being of our seafarers, we need to look at things a little bit differently in the future. Thank you. And uh, David Appleton from Nautilus. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is David Appleton. I'm a professional technical officer with Nautilus International. Prior to that, I was a deck officer with Maersk and uh, Princess Cruises. I've been at Nautilus about seven years, and during that time, I've been dealing with basically everything that affects our members in relation to crewing, uh, welfare, certification, safety, and um, obviously, as as Cameron's alluded to, these issues have, have existed for a long time, but the corona crisis has really brought this to the fore and brought some international attention to the issues that face seafarers around the world. So it seemed quite a pertinent time to have this discussion. Great. And next, I'd like to introduce Clara Wanich from Inmarsat. Hello, everyone. I'm Clara Wanich from Inmarsat. Um, I am um, Digital Innovation Partnership Lead uh, within the Digital uh, Business Development Team. 
Uh, one of my main um, responsibilities is to engage uh, with startups and innovators out there uh, to define how we can uh, work with them. Um, one of my other responsibilities is also to look at um, what's our strategy around uh, better serving the crew. Um, so, you know, this webinar brings together uh, my, my two interests, uh, but also today uh, in Marsat, in collaboration with uh, Nick, um, we are launching um, a report called Welfare 2.0 that looks at how technology uh, can support uh, crew welfare. So uh, this is a good opportunity uh, to, to share our findings. Fantastic. Yeah. And we'd like to dive into some of the um, findings of the report as, as the discussion evolves. Uh, and last, but by no means least, uh, Richard Turner from Tappet. Hi, thanks, Nick. And uh, welcome to everybody. Uh, my name is Richard Turner, uh, CEO of the Tappet Group of Companies. Prior to setting up Tappet in uh, 2019, I had 30 years uh, offshore and onshore as well in various roles. I came to develop Tappet because I could see frustrations in the training arena and wanted to develop uh, technologies that would help and support seafarers and shipping companies alike. Uh, we currently have Tappet Maritime, one of the world's largest databases of training providers around the world in over 50 plus countries. And on top of that, we've launched Tappet Live, which is a live streaming um, company dedicated to delivering cost-effective training to people on all devices, no matter all the locations. So for me, this uh, being on this panel was really important because we, we have that mixture of crew welfare that we're trying to, to achieve and also the technical skills as well. So looking forward to the, to the day. Fantastic. Okay, well, I'd like to start, if I may. I, th I think you'll all agree we've got a really interesting um, set of different vantage points from around the industries, both from uh, technology, but also from from the union's point of view, representing seafarers and, and the flag states as well. So, um, I'd like to kick off by asking uh, each of you what impact you think the crisis is having, uh, and what are you seeing from your vantage point. Um, uh, of what impact the crisis is having on crew members. And, and David, it strikes me that you're probably closest to the, to the seafarers on the ground um, at a scale. So could we kick off with you? What, what's your view from, from Nautilus? Thanks. Um, yeah, obviously, it's been an extremely busy time for us. The, uh, the issue that's getting the most attention, quite rightly, is the crew change issue. Um, still, we heard yesterday the estimate currently is that there's around 225,000 seafarers who are still awaiting crew change who are overdue their repatriation now. From uh, our point of view, UK, we, we can only estimate because it's very hard to get accurate figures on exactly where our members are. But we estimate there's around 2,000 UK seafarers who are currently awaiting their delayed repatriation. And for us, this is just uh, the crew change issue sort of highlights the um, sort of where seafarers come on the list of priorities generally. But this, this, crisis has really brought that to the fore. I know we have discussions in the UK at the moment and I'm sure in other European countries on what governments can do to facilitate people getting their, their holidays in the south of France, etc., making sure that the tourism business doesn't lose out on all that money, but we've still got these seafarers stuck away at sea with no no end in sight and, and no information or, or, you know, no idea when they're going to get home. So... I mean, if this was any other profession, we feel that they'd be much higher up the list of priorities. Um, but the crew change isn't the only issue. Obviously, for every person stuck at sea, somebody else is stuck at home and can't go get, can't go and work, can't go and earn, earn a living. 
in the UK, we've worked out that a large majority of our members won't be eligible for any of the schemes that the government have put in place to support employment due to the nature of their contracts and the nature of their employment. And there's all sorts of other issues, peripheral issues around um, COVID-19 that you never would have imagined until they came in. For example, seafarers that are stuck ashore, not earning money, are also like may well find themselves liable for four years income tax, which they hadn't budgeted for because they won't get their number of days away at sea. So they're going to be even harder hit with cadets stuck on ships that can't get home, also cadets that can't get get ashore. So the, the future pipeline of, of, of officers is, is stalled because cadets can't either train at college or they can't get their sea time. And, yeah, it's just it's, – it's been a really – it's really hit seafarers hard. And obviously, a lot of it was out of the control of, of certain parties. But we also feel that the certain parties could have done a lot more to improve the situation. Thank you for that. I think it's it's really important to remember that uh, yeah, for everyone who's who's stuck at sea, there is someone stuck at shore, and and, and we need to have a think about how we, um, as an industry, can support them, and and how government should be supporting them. Um, and building on that. Cameron, what's your view of it from a, from a flag state point of view? What are you seeing from the members of your registry and, and what, what can the flag do to help? I think following on from David's comments, I think we, we have seen more MLC matters being brought to the ship registry directly from crew members or seafarers. I think also we've, we've seen you know, our companies struggling with this situation as well. Usually we get maybe a couple of MLC complaints a year and um, this year, I'm sure we'll get a few more, uh, specifically around seafarers' employment agreements. Extension of seafarers' employment agreements is becoming a real concern for us. I think it is for everybody. Um, we need to get seafarers repatriated and we need to get them home. Interestingly, this year, we've also had companies contact us where seafarers won't sign an extension to their SEA. And from a ship registry perspective, that's absolutely fine. That is the seafarers' right to do. Um, and it's up to the company to make the necessary arrangements to get those seafarers home. Um, from an Isle of Man perspective, the Isle of Man government introduced seafarers that support the Isle of Man economy as key workers very early on, and that's that's helped our local industry. But obviously that isn't the case internationally. There's still a lot of seafarers in a lot of countries that haven't designated seafarers as key workers. So therefore, repatriation and seafarers joining ships is a real concern. That's a, it's a great point. I can probably count, I think, on one hand, the number of countries that have designated seafarers as, as key workers. Um, but until you have that as a, as a blanket exemption, uh, travel becomes is, is still almost impossible. Um, and, and coming to the two technologists on the panel now, um, let's start with, uh, with, with, with Richard. Well, how, how are you seeing that technology can help with this? We've got Steve Ferris who are stuck on board for far longer than they should be. Um, is there a way that technology can help to uh, uh, ease their suffering, if you like? And, and are there ways that technology could be used and leveraged to actually help uh, get seafarers moving on and off ships? Yeah, I think um, from, from our point of view, we've seen a lot of traction with, um, with companies reaching out to us with our welfare and wellbeing programs. Um, we the, the, the feedback we're getting from the ships themselves is there's a lot of frustration on board. There's a lot of anger uh, being pointed towards the ship owners themselves. And I think uh, it's really about identifying and getting the right news, the right feeds to the people on the, the ships, allowing them to, to understand the, the situations. But, um, yeah, we've, we've, we're constantly putting our live programs onto these vessels now and streaming tools and, and, and courses to help 
in these situations and also supporting the families at home. Uh, that, that shouldn't be forgotten as well is that, uh, you know, the, these people on the ships, they've also got families that, that they're trying to look after. They're trying to, to, to understand, find out how they are. Uh, so communications are absolutely key right now to, to keep them communications open uh, and hopefully to increase it, to allow people to make, uh, to make these calls and connections with their family members at home who they're, they're equally as worried about and need to get back to. So, so yeah, there is a, we are seeing a big surge in, in a requirement for some of our courses and stuff. That's a, a a useful segue into into Clara's take. Clara in, in Marsat, um, as as a connectivity provider to the industry, um, wh- what are you seeing, and and how is technology and and connectivity helping? Um, is it able to? So yeah, from our point of view, um, unsurprisingly, what we're seeing is this um, enhanced need for connectivity. Um, as the seafarers spend more time away from from their family, uh, but also combined with the uncertainty. Uh, around COVID-19, what is it, you know, uh, how do I know if I'm ill, uh, what is happening with my family. Um, so we are seeing um, an increase in traffic. Uh, so, for example, uh, from end of February to end of May, we've seen a 30% increase in, in our da- data volume. Um, but we also see uh, the, the shipping companies trying to address uh, this demand for more connectivity uh, for, for the crew, at least you know some some of them. So we've worked uh, with uh, with some of our customers to uh, provide higher speed uh, to, to the to the vessels, so the crew um, can make more more uh, more calls, uh, can can access uh, the internet, um, and um, yeah, I mean it's important because in. In, in normal times, um, we estimate that the crew uses about 80 to 90% of the vessel bandwidth. Uh, so to meet this demand, you need to, um, to, to increase the, the vessel uh, bandwidth. But we also see uh, an increase in, uh, in voice calls. Uh, so, for example, um, the average call is uh, a minute and a half longer than in 2019. Um, and uh, in Marsat, uh, we're also trying to uh, help uh, crew by offering substantial discount uh, on, on voice calls. Um, we also see uh, vessels um, using more and more uh, uh, critical applications uh, that may interfere uh, with the primary bandwidth of the vessel um, and looking for solution for that. So, for example... In Marsat, uh, we recently launched uh, in collaboration with uh, telemedicine provider Vicand and a startup FrontM, uh, a video-based um, COVID-19 uh, helpline. Um, and this is enabled because we are able to separate uh, the bandwidth for this service and for uh, the, the vessel. Um, so, so overall, um, from our point of view, um, we see, uh, obviously, um, increased need uh, from the seafarers, but we also see some positive uh, response uh, from uh, some shipping companies. Okay. We've had some interesting questions already. Um, I, would, I would say absolutely keep, keep them coming in um, and, and we'll work our way through them. Uh, um, the, 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 the first one that, that, that's come in uh, is from um, Captain Raja Ray, uh, and he's Asked a whether it's true that AMSA has detained a vessel because the crew have done more than a year on board, uh, and then makes the comment that it seems pretty stupid to do that, um, as Australia is not allowing crew sign on or, or off. Uh, 
so it, it kind of begs the question. We've we've also had um, Mukesh Singh ask a similar question. They've recently um, come, experienced the sharp end of port state control um, from from countries that haven't relaxed their own restrictions on crew movements, which, which begs the question: Are we completely in the hands of governments, um, or, or is there something that, uh, as individual crewing managers, um, we, we could be doing? And um, perhaps Cameron, if we could come to you first with that, um, and, and then we'll we'll see what um, David has to say after that. I think from a flag state perspective, um, you know, we were very quick uh, when the COVID-19 pandemic came, came upon us to relax our port state control intentions, if you like. We decided and we reported to IMO like all flag states had to do what they were going to put in place for the pandemic to enable shipping, in effect, to enable shipping to continue. So. We did relax our port state control inspection regime. Um, and I presumed, maybe wrongly, that most other countries in the world would do the same thing. However, I also understand convention requirements. So the Maritime Labour Convention in particular, which I'm sure David will come on to, regarding contract lengths of SEAs on board ships. And this is something that we're all struggling with at the moment. It's, it's not unique to AMSA. Um, and hopefully... We need a, an international solution. So we need a solution through nationalities, through governments. We need a solution from the IMO. Um, and I think that's how we have to move forward. And David, what's your take on that as a as a representative of, of crew interest? We've seen in the last few days that Panama um, have made it possible to extend SEAs by another three months on on top of, um, I think, the, the 14 months um, already served. Is MLC at this point worth the paper it's written on? And uh, if not, what, what, what can governments do about it and, and who should be leading on it? Addressing the Australia point, we've heard that, that, that this ship had deficiencies. I'm not sure if it's actually been detained or not, but... Um, I'd agree with the, the questionnaire is if if you um, are not going to facilitate the crew change, then what's the point of um, of giving the vessel a deficiency for, for crew change? But from our point of view, you've mentioned um, the, the Panama extension of three months. This is really, um, we're ending up in a catch-22 situation here where a number of governments are willing for Singapore, for example, will allow crew changes if a seafarer's SCA has expired. However, if Panama offer blanket exemptions for further three months, then no, nobody on a Panama ship's SEA is expired, and therefore they're not eligible for repatriation in Singapore. So um, what we want, and the ITF as well, I'm sure most will be aware of the statement the ITF made a couple of weeks back regarding the renewal of SEAs, um, that enough is enough, and that administrations now need to do whatever it takes to get crew home. And we would agree with that. We we welcome Australia um, issuing those deficiencies against that vessel. And also the UK has detained five vessels last week, um, five cruise ships in the UK, who, whose uh, contracts have expired and uh, there, was, there was wage issues on board as well. Because if individual administrations don't start putting that pressure on and taking a stand and actually saying, no, this is, this is enough now, these people have been on board too long and we need to do what we can to get them home, then there's no incentive for any any administration that's perhaps more worried about the risk of infection, however likely that may be from a seafarer. It, it, it kind of puts the pressure on them that they, they need to do something and it's not someone else's problem. So although, yeah, absolutely, if there is no way to get them home in Australia, then you do question the logic, but we do overall welcome 
welcome administrations putting that pressure on. So you, so you see that, that pressure should be put on so that it, it almost creates more noise um, uh, and in the hope that, that governments around the world will begin to listen. Yeah, because at the end, it's only the administrations that can do it. If, if everyone, obviously, there's many things that are out of the industry's control at the moment, and we're not, we're not trying to suggest that if a ship owner has done everything in their power and they can't get someone home, that they should face any consequence for that. But it's if people aren't willing to take a stand and, and take action, then we're just going to carry on in this situation forever. Okay. And... I think it's it's really important to recognise. I, I was speaking to a, um, a ship operator earlier this week uh, who, who told me that they're doing everything they can, um, but it's really really difficult to get flights. And unless there's high level government action, there's not a lot more they can do. Um, so I think it's important to recognise that this this could, uh, much as no one wants it to, this could be a situation that goes on for some months. Um, what can we do to, to make life on board better um, for those who are, who are stuck? And perhaps, Richard, I, I know you, you've got some insight from your, your time at, at Tappet um, and some of the initiatives you're putting together. Um, obviously, the first goal is to get people off and get new people on. Um, that's absolutely the first priority. But where that's not possible um, for the time being, what, what, what should, should ship owners be doing? Yeah, so I just, uh, just go back a point. And, you know, from a technology point of view, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about these apps, track and trace apps for, for general public and stuff. There is the, the feasibility to do this for crew on board ships, a track and trace app for those people on the ships so that we can really credibly identify where they've gone and how we're going to manage them. So I think there should be definitely some emphasis put on that to, to really try and relieve the situation to get these, these seafarers off. I mean, we're hearing stories of people you know, six months over contract. And, you know, we're now getting to the point, forget the, the COVID, we're now talking about serious mental health issues for these people. And, you know, I think what Tappet is trying to do is to try and alleviate some of those issues by getting a better um, welfare on board the ship with not only some of the tools, but we're live streaming, you know, exercise classes, yoga, meditation, stress management classes, two ships, but the, the one thing that we're talking to mainly is the ship owners and saying, look, you know, during this time, you know, increase the bandwidth on the vessels, you know, for this period of time to give your crews some some benefits, some comfort as they're stuck on board um, is to give them different things to take their minds off the current situation they're in. Um, so, so yeah, we're, we're, we're working with quite a number of ship owners and operators um, delivering these these live stream classes where it gets them out of the cabins, takes them into mess rooms, into the gyms, uh, and we live stream interactive classes for them. Um, yeah, some you can see them interacting with the instructors, and at first it was a laugh and it was uh, it was something different. Now we're actually seeing a lot of benefit through taking these classes on board, um, and the, the the vessels are reporting back. There's an uptake in in people's well being because. I think there's a misconception that mental health is just the mind. It's actually mind, body, and soul. It's about a holistic approach. So I'm appealing to ship owners to, you know, if you can't get your crews off, give them the opportunity to, to, to relax and take the mind off with, uh, with a different viewpoint. And this is where technology helps, and that's what we're doing. Uh, and, Clara, we've, we've had a question um, from uh, uh, Pankaj Saxena. Um, 
uh, asking two points. One, one is on the cost of, of video calling, um, and and actually how viable that is. And, and second, uh, it looks like um, it, they're a, a technology provider, and and they want to find a way to help. Um, and has asked whether there are APIs for connecting platforms uh, into um, in Marsat's connectivity because all of these uh, all of these platforms, whether it's Tappet or someone else, needs to get some sort of connection to the vessel. Um, so, what can you do to help? tech companies integrate uh, with ships and, and, to, and to help solve, solve those problems? So um, in terms of the cost of the uh, video-based uh, hotline, um, so it is a free service at the moment. Uh, so that's, uh, that's the good news. Um, regarding uh, how to, to, to uh, you know, how Inmarsat can work with uh, technology providers around crew welfare. So, you know, in addition to, uh, you know, the report we're launching where we're trying to raise awareness and, um, uh, you know, act as, you know, push the, 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 the thinking around uh, crew welfare, uh, we're also involved in creating an ecosystem of um, innovators. Um, so it's, it's, it's wider than crew welfare, it's digital applications, but we want to have uh, more of a focus uh, on, on crew welfare going forward. Um, and we have uh, a range of uh, digital products that um, we can provide uh, to the vessel in collaboration with technology providers. Um, so depending on, on what you need, it can be dedicated bandwidth, it can be it can be, sorry, um, uh, data from the vessel that you can access through an API. Uh, it can be uh, storing data, uh, you know, having a virtual server on, on the vessel. So um, it's something we can pick up uh, separately, but we, we do have this, uh, this solution. Um, and we are actively looking to, to create this ecosystem. Um, perhaps I'll also uh, bounce on this to, to say that uh, we are uh, sometime in July, uh, again, also in collaboration with Nick, uh, going to launch uh, an open innovation uh, challenge um, in partnership with Shell, uh, focused on crew welfare solutions. Um, and uh, the winning solution uh, will have uh, a POC uh, on a Shell vessel uh, that is uh, fitted within in Marsat capabilities. So by bringing all this together, uh, we think we can help uh, the technology providers to, to deploy their solution faster, um, scale up uh, cheaper uh, and benefit uh, crew welfare. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, super excited about that whole project. And um, uh, I would just say watch this space because we'll be announcing um, how to actually submit bids for the funding um, and to do the POC um, in the next couple of weeks. Um, there's a, a couple of comments and, and then a question I'd like to um, uh, ask uh, to just to close out on on COVID. As unfortunately, we, we've got to move on. Um, one from um, Mukesh Singh saying that we've seen Recent incident reports uh, from port authorities with the root cause is attributed to fatigue um, of ship staff. Um, and and the, the, the point being made is that flag states allowing the SEA to be extended, such as Panama, um, likely isn't the solution. Um, what's being suggested here is that all stakeholders should come together um, to get uh, key government institutions to allow international flights and relaxation on crew change, crew change at key ports. So, uh, building on that, I'd, I'd be interested to know Coming together and, and collaboration is, is always easier said than done. Um, so, I, 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 as, a, as a closing comment on, on all of this COVID um, uh, discussion, I'd, I'd like to get the panel's take on, on how you think we should be trying to work together better to put pressure on, on governments to, um, to make transfers possible. 
Um, and but before that, um, just a, a slightly worrying question that I'd like to put to um, David Appleton. Um, uh, the question is, sir, good day. What can you say about those companies who no longer give salaries to their crew on board? Um, and I've also heard a story of a, um, a seafarer who's been signed off um, uh, and then had to sail halfway around the world for about uh, three or four months before they actually managed to get off the ship. And they were sailing as a supernumerary um, on very, very basic pay. Um, so is this something you're seeing at scale? Um, and, and if so, what should um, individual seafarers, um, what, what can individual seafarers do about it? Yeah, obviously, that, that's very concerning. We have heard isolated reports of, of Krish as Seafarers always always end up facing the brunt when when the ship owner comes under financial um, strain, and obviously, although it's not that common, um, it is it is a huge problem. It's not that common in the UK anyway, where we are. But obviously, the, the five ships that were detained this week, there was crew wage issues. Um, this is something that goes on regardless of COVID, but obviously, COVID has put huge financial strain. On companies, so that we're likely to see more cases. And for us, the key issue is that um, obviously, this we, we've had administrations, flag states giving flexibility due to the COVID situation for for three, four months now. But all of these, all of the conventions, the MLC, so that's everything else, are there for a reason. They're there to protect the crew. And now we need to move forward, and we need to start. We need administrations to start inspecting ships again. We need flag states to stop offering waivers and and exemptions to these to these instruments that are there to protect the crew because they're the only thing in many cases that, that protect the crew from these practices. Thank you. And uh, as, a, as a final point on this, and then we, we must move on, uh, uh, Cameron, in terms of industry working together to put pressure on governments, what do you think we can do? What what can an individual ship owner do? Um, what should flag states be doing? What should the unions be doing? Is there a single point we should all be trying to focus on? I think it, it has to be on a national basis as well. But, you know, flag states are represented at an international body, the International Maritime Organization. And the International Maritime Organization, organization has been pushing very hard to get seafarers declared as key workers. They've seen the campaign Hashtag seafarers are key, key workers. And I think as a flag state, we can keep pushing that towards IMO through our permanent representative and the International Mar Maritime Organization. But I think until governments accept that this is a crisis in the making, um, we just can't move forward quickly enough. Um, unfortunately, I mean, I think the campaign, the campaigns that are out there at the moment are gathering momentum. I can see that, you know, you look at the social media channels, everything seems to be picking up a pace. Um, we can just hope, continue to add pressure where it's where it's needed and just hope that we get the changes that are needed as soon as possible. I feel like we could we could spend the entire 90 minutes on, on COVID-19, but we've been talking about crew welfare for years because crew welfare issues... Uh, They've been going on long before coronavirus started, uh, and they will continue long after this crisis has passed. So I'd like to expand the conversation now a little bit. Um, so that brings us to the end of part one of this episode of the Sea Trade Maritime podcast. You've been listening to Cameron Mitchell, Director at the Isle of Man Ship Registry, David Appleton, Professional and Technical Officer at Nautilus International, Clara Vunich, Digital Innovations Partnership Leader in Marsat, and Richard Turner, CEO at Tappet. 
and moderating the conversation was founder and managing director of Thetius, Nick Chubb. In part two of this episode, Cameron, David, Clara, Richard and Nick continue the crew welfare discussion and you can find that episode and more online at ctrade-maritime.com. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.